Hi, everybody. This is Peter Diamandis, and I'm here with Dan Sullivan, my coach, the head of strategic coach, my partner on exponential wisdom. You know, Dan, I love talking about AI and 3D printing and synthetic biology, all of those fields. But the technology that is on the verge of transforming every aspect of society is blockchain. The challenge is I think a lot of people don't know really what it is. They've heard about it. They've heard of Bitcoin. They've heard of perhaps decentralized finance. But what is this blockchain thing and why does it matter? Mm -hmm. How about you? What are you? Well, the interesting thing is that five years ago, I think on your stage in Beverly Hills, you had the founder of Ethereum. And it turns out he's from Toronto. I've learned that Toronto is kind of a hotbed of people doing work with blockchain. And my interest right off the bat of the concept of the extended ledger, the distributed ledger of blockchain was very, very fascinating to me, not so much from a technological standpoint, but from a trust standpoint, because I I believe that trust is the mortar that expands the world. If you have building blocks that expand the world, the thing that joins the building blocks together is is the trust of human beings. Capitalism. Capitalism, yeah. F.A. Hayek in the 1940s said capitalism is an ever-expanding system of increased cooperation among strangers. He said all other systems, you could trust family members, you could trust friends, you couldn't trust strangers. And capitalism, because it has legal frameworks, it has political frameworks, and then, of course, it has all sorts of, you know, entrepreneurial and corporate supports, is that we can trust people on the other side of the world. I mean, we're signing people up from Pakistan, from Singapore, from Taiwan into the program right now. And in essence, we're never going to meet them because they're attending digital workshops and they're paying us digitally and they're getting their materials digitally. But I see them a lot because they're on our little two-hour connector calls. And for me, it's like they're sitting in the chair next to me and you know that we're talking about it. And I think that there's some threats to the trust. If you have fraud in the financial systems, if people's most important personal information is being hacked and people can go in and change your information, all sorts of things, you know. My feeling, you don't really have a breakthrough on your hands until it's an advantage to the criminal (laughs) class, but you've got to protect yourself against the criminals. So that's my take on it, that IP protection. So we've gone through some litigation ourselves over the last year, and we've really, really, really done a terrific job using trademarks and copyrights and patents but there's got to be a faster way. There's got to be a faster way. I think blockchain is a dual system. You want to keep using the normal means right now, but I think that blockchain is a dual system you can do at the same time. And I think 20 years from now, blockchain will be the system by which you protect intellectual property and anything else you want protected. I get it and I agree. And, you know, I think it'll be fun in this podcast to give some concrete examples to folks about where blockchain is going to be critically important. 
intellectual property, I mean, if I can prove that I came up with from either trademark or an idea patent, if I can prove the timestamp of where I am, what I'm doing, that it was the very first person, blockchain is perfect for that. Yeah. Super yeah. exciting about that. Yeah. Another one is sovereign identity. Mm -hmm. There's about a billion people on the planet today who, because they're, you know, been dispelled from their country and they're, you know, have no nationality, they don't have a sovereign identity. And having that identity is critical for land ownership and ownership of anything. Yep. So that's another example. Yeah. Another thing is the provenance of things, you know, and this is where it's already being used extensively without anyone really knowing it. But, you know, people in the luxury markets who are buying wines, they're buying diamonds, they're buying artwork, they're buying, you know, sculptures yeah. and rugs. You know, before you could have a blockchain solution, there was as much as 20% fraud. fraud going on yeah. in all these markets. The wines weren't the actual wine. The diamonds were not the diamonds that you thought you were buying. So the big thing is, and I read a whole deep dive into the diamond industry, and now as soon as the diamonds are cut, you know, and De Beers is the 800-pound gorilla in that world, they can very, very minutely and, you know, digitally, they can actually insert in a diamond when that diamond was mined, where it was mined, you know, the company mining it because it could be child labor, it could be slave labor, and then that it truly is the diamond and it's got all of its characteristics at the time of the cutting. And that's passed up the chain until it gets to retail. And you know, Tiffany's and the other... Yeah, Providence. Yeah, provenance, and that's happening with everything where it's important to know that what you bought is legitimate. Yes, yeah. actually. By the way, as an aside, this year I'm, I'm tracking always the exponential transformations, breakthroughs, and so forth. And one of the big ones in 20, past year 2021 was Pandora, which is the largest gem seller on the planet, made a commitment to not sell any more naturally mined diamonds because of mm -hmm. all of the political and societal issues, and they're only selling artificial lab-made diamonds, which are real diamonds. You cannot tell the difference other than it's perfect. So that's just an interesting aside. I can just see the interchange now, Peter. Can you prove that this is a fake? <laughs> I mean, can you prove that this is an honest, legitimate fake? <laughs> oh, my God. A few other applications of blockchain, I mean, what people should already know is it enables digital currencies. It enables everything from Bitcoin to Ethereum. And this is basically a form of a scarce digital asset in the form of a Bitcoin or, or a Satoshi. The key element here is, is, you know this, when you're transmitting money today, there's all of these overheads required going through a bank and showing your passport and the number of steps and hours and phone calls and they call you to verify and so forth. But if you're able to utilize a cryptocurrency, it's, you know, seconds worth of input and minutes worth of transmission time. Mm -hmm. So the velocity of capital is one of the most important indications of an exponential ecosystem. Yep. Yeah. There are certain 
things you'd like to do, but you can't do it simply because the complexity brought on by regulatory organizations and also by borders. Uh, For example, our company is in three countries and then within the United States, it's in different jurisdictions. Los Angeles is the king of every crossing a border costs you something. (laughs) (laughs) But one thing that I've thought as we're really growing and we're really, I feel, in takeoff stage right now, now that we're global and we're virtual, I, I just feel that it's taken us really 32 years to get to the rocket launch to really take off with what we're doing. Okay. And what I've been thinking about is what is popularly called an ESOP in the United States, uh, employee ownership of stuff, stock ownership program. Having said that, I want to back away from it and simply express it that as the company grows, I want a value that will be attached to each of the the employees, and we can do it backwards from how long they've been with us. I've been bouncing this off four or five clients who do Bitcoin work. And I said, what I want to create is a coach coin. Okay. Mm. And the coach coin has a value. So you, you create it and, uh, you know, we fund it. I mean, Babs and I will just yeah. fund it to give it an original value. And then we accord coach coins to our team members on a quarterly basis for as long as they've been with the company. So, for example, Shannon Waller just crossed 30 years, and that's 120 coach coins. She would get 120 coach coins. And there would be an original distribution just based on where people are right now. And then every quarter of your time with the company, you get another coach coin. Right. Okay. And the reason to put that on blockchain is to avoid the fraud. Well, the other thing is that Canada doesn't really have an ESOP, mm-hmm. any provisions for ESOP. Great Britain, it's totally different based on 500 years of labor negotiations. And the United States is very different. And this is just an understanding. You've established a value for a quarter's worth of participation and coach. You attach a value and you give the person a Going. And, uh, you know, there's tax issues you have to do because you're giving people, a, you know, a gift of some sort. But that's easy stuff. You don't have any really problem with that. The other thing is they can sell them. They can sell them, you know, if they want. Do you want to sell your, you know, you put it back in the pool and you'll get paid. But the other thing is that we have a massive, massive value of intellectual property in our company. We've had the company evaluated. And, you know, I just use, you know, as a very simple one, the company is worth its revenue, but that's not taking intellectual capital into account at all. So the thing is that you can start attaching value to this coin. Anyway, I'm exploring it. This will be the first that my team members actually hear of it. So I'll find out how many of my team members actually watched our podcast. It's great. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But the whole point is it'll happen or it won't happen, but I'm exploring this now because it's the first time that it didn't seem like walking through a swamp of legal and... There's a level of clarity and simplicity, which is... And it won't change. It'll never be more complicated than it is, you know, when you start. And I think the big thing is that, can I give you a theory about what's happening right now? about the COVID that relates right back to this blockchain thing. I'm looking forward to the mental leap. Go ahead. Yeah. Here's the thing. 
the proper way to look at this is not as a pandemic. It's a lockdown period. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's a lockdown period. And the reason for the lockdown is that the velocity of change was getting too great for most of the bureaucratic structures in the world, especially government structures in the world. And I'm not saying they caused the event. I'm not in the conspiracies thing, but they took advantage of it. And they took advantage of it to slow things down because they were just losing control of everything. But I would argue, Dan, that COVID accelerated everything. Oh, it did. But can I tell you, it accelerated everything that government can't see. (laughs) That's great. Think about it. How much money has been generated by enterprises? I'll use Zoom because it's been our great jump. It went from 10 million daily users. Six months later, it was 500 million daily users. It was 50 times growth in six months. Did I read an article anywhere on that? No. Did I see anything on the internet about that? No. And the reason why you're not reading about it is the people who are in the establishment and are reporting on things aren't using it to generate any new value. But what are the 500 million daily users? What kind of value are they creating? And can any of it be actually observed? And I think there's a whole new economy that's gotten created over the last 21, 22 months. And to follow through on that and connecting it back to blockchain again, we're going to see that in spades in what's called Web3. Yep. Right. So today, the Web, the Web2, if you would, is the information web, right? I can transmit files, music, images, and such. Where we're heading with Web3, which I think of as the intersection of AI, blockchain, and XR, we'll call it VR or AR, but XR, virtual and augmented reality. The convergence of those three are going to create the web where it's not information exchange, it's value exchange, Yeah, where I can send you something valuable because it's on the blockchain. I can send you ownership of something instantly. Right now, I can send you ownership of Bitcoin or Ethereum, but I can send you ownership of my car, ownership of, you know, a Renoir. You could send me, for safekeeping, all of your things that you want to have extra copies in the hands of extra people. Sure. Yeah. I mean, like reporters who are doing something dangerous will find 25 different law firms and they'll send them a sealed package. If anything happens to me, you know, open. <laughs> you open it and talk to this reporter about yes, it. And, exactly. they do, and they do that as a safeguard. They do that as a safeguard, you know. One of the companies that I'm on the board of and I'm a huge fan of is called VATOM, Virtual Atom is what it stands for. And Eric Poulier, who started six multi-hundred million dollar companies, is the CEO and the visionary there. He's the first person ever to talk about non-fungible tokens, about NFTs, which again is something that is minted on the blockchain and can be transmitted from person to person. But Vadim, I want you to imagine the following. We're gonna be living our lives half in the virtual world and half in the real world. We'll have a citizenship as a Canadian citizen or a US citizen, but I may have a couple of virtual citizenships in these, think of it as the advanced version of Second Life. Mm -hmm. I will have the ability to 
take ownership of things in the virtual world, out of the virtual world and into the real world and back and forth. And that's going to become fascinating. You know, where if I'm in a virtual game and there's a Coca-Cola on the table over there, I, I stay away from soda like it's poison, which it is. But just for the example here, I grab the Coke in the virtual world and put it into my wallet, right? We're all going to have sovereign identity. And we're all going to have a, a digital wallet, which can store anything on the blockchain in it. Yeah. And then when I'm in this virtual world and I have a can of Coke and then I'm in a different virtual world, my wallet goes with me, my identity goes with me and I can move it from virtual world to virtual world or in the real world, I can go into a particular store and turn it in for a Coke and then that virtual Coke is gone mm -hmm. and the real one is now my possession. Mm -hmm. So that's gonna be a fascinating transmissibility, that agility between mm -hmm. worlds, um, that's gonna be, yeah. And there was a book written 25, 30 years ago by a man by the name of Hernando de Soto. Mm. And his big thing is that in the third world, and he was using Lima, Peru, as his example there, that, you know, Lima, Peru is in the 10 million population, 10, 15 million. Nobody knows what the population of Lima, Peru is, you know, if you count bodies. About 5% of them own the property that they actually live on. Although they've lived on the property for 70 or 80 years, yeah. but they don't actually own it. And they're not even paying rent for it. They're not even paying rent on it. So it's not like there's a landowner who owns it, but there's nothing to prevent somebody with bribes to the city or bribes to the government to come in and just clear out a hillside and said, you know, I'm going to build a new hotel on this. And the city will recognize him as landowner, but they won't recognize. So he said, it's such a complex thing to try to come to grips with. But my sense is that blockchain is the way that you do it. No question at all. No question at all. You know, there's another interesting example of Web3 and blockchain, which is a friend of mine who was CEO of Fox Movies and then Paramount, Jim Giannopoulos, used to complain that he had no idea who was watching his films. You produce the films, then the films would go into the theater, you'd go and buy a ticket in the theater, or you'd watch it on Netflix. The theater knew who was watching it, they knew who you were, and Netflix knows who you are, but the original film producer doesn't. And the same thing is true for companies like P&G, right? You buy shampoo from Whole Foods, P&G has no idea who you are. And so the ability for NFTs, badges, blockchain, Web3, if you would, to be able to connect the end consumer with the producer of goods. And this includes also farmers, like what am I eating at the table? Where did this food come from? Not where was it bought, but which farmer produced it? And then you can start to create interesting chain of custody and interesting financial benefits where a friend of mine is working on this in Thailand, where when you tip the restaurant, part of the tip goes back to the farmer, mm. in which then the farmer cares about the quality of his or her products. Mm -hmm. yep. Fascinating business model changes coming. I was talking to, you know, it was just in a setting with, in the few times that I've actually been at the office, and I got talking to some of the team members in our cafe, you know, and they were talking about you know, the ridiculousness of the area that we live in, 
because they're now selling 250-foot condos. And I said, that's ridiculous. Wow. And they said, well, it's like a dorm room. It's like a dorm room. And I said, yeah. And the people who buy it look like they're at college. <laughs> and I said, but here's the thing, you know, and this is where British common law and all of its manifestation, because U.S. law, Canadian law is based on British law. And the number one starting point for British law is the ownership of personal property. Yes. Okay. And all freedom in the British law, there is no freedom if you don't have freedom of personal, to personally own property. And I said, all these things that are happening, if you think, and I said, NFTs, and people said, well, it's ridiculous, you know, NFTs. And I said, yeah, but it's ownership, and people want to own things. There's ownership, and there's also scarcity. Yeah. We are mentally wired for scarcity. Yep. For sure. As we discovered right at the beginning, Peter, nothing sells abundance like scarcity. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing about it, these 250-foot condos, I said, that's ownership of real estate in Toronto. And I'll tell you something, that whatever they paid for that 250-square-foot condo, a year from now, it'll be 10% higher. Yeah. And then they'll get a 500-foot square. And then, you know, 25 years down the road, they're living in a single detached. The greatest wealth in the world has come from real estate because we're living on a, a world of limited landmass today. Yeah. yeah. That will change as we move into space. It will change as we spend more time in the virtual world and as we turn you know deserts into oasis. But yeah. Yeah. So the big thing of this blockchain stuff and everything related to it, I'm for it. <laughs> you know, we have our own particular use for it. Yeah. I think the biggest challenge is going to be what's called DeFi, distributed finance. And it's going to challenge the entire financial institution. And it's going to challenge, you know, the business of government, which is taxation and service delivery. So one of the biggest concerns on all of this is it's so disruptive in so many ways that will the government do everything it can to shut it down? We see that in China. We're seeing that in other parts. Will it happen in the United States? There's, you know, rumblings about it. And if there's an attempt to shut it down, it simply means it'll be reinvented. I don't think it can be shut down. Yeah. Well, the big thing is, are the new uses of it more compelling than restricting it to you know, you can't do any of those things right now. And there's a point where it wants to be used in particular ways. And there's a buildup of pressure and the, the dam breaks one way or another. I am a great believer in Moore's law, which he's very, very clear that it's not a law. <laughs> it's an aspiration that seems to be shared by a great number of people. He said, I don't think it's a law. And Newton's third law, that when you have a disruptive action, you're going to get a, all the existing structure is going to come back with a defensive response. You see that with everything. Yeah, well, the data I looked at in 2020 and 2021 shows Moore's law continuing at a pretty, you know, determined pace. So um, we should talk about the M1 chip, yeah. which... I think, what's the number of... Trillions of transistors. Yeah, the things processing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's got billions and billions of transistors, but it's got trillions of transactions. It can 
do that per second. Yeah. We're talking about it, the trillions per second. Yeah. I mean, what's really driven this last five years of revolution, because it's been a revolution in the AI space, has been three things. It's been new algorithms, which have been really important. It's been a lot of available data, which is really important. But principally, it's been increasing computational ability so that you can literally throw more compute at a problem. Mm -hmm. And interestingly enough, you know, when you look at like AlphaGo that won the game of Go against Lee Sedol from South Korea, AlphaGo basically was an AI neural net that was trained on thousands, millions of games of Go played by humans, and then it learned to emulate the rules. AlphaGo Zero was not trained on humans' data. It was told the rules, and then it played itself over and over and over and over and over again. And in four hours, AlphaZero beat AlphaGo, right? I mean, it's like, holy shit, that's just unimaginable. Mm -hmm. They like to say, you know, what else is a game? Is real estate investing a game? Is financial investing a game? It's all a game. Yeah. I was counting it when I started the conference with you in August. I just had a couple of things that I was counting. One of the things I was counting was the speed of testing. People talk about the speed of testing because one of the things came up with is that all these things that were presented on the VIP trip were still in their clinical stages, but they were moving very, very quickly through clinical stages. And it had been an especially rapid, you know, movement over the last three or four years. And I, you know, would talk to people and they said, well, it used to take a day to do this test human-wise. And with artificial intelligence, we can do 10,000 different tests the same day. I know, it's insane. (laughs) It is laughably insane. And guess what? It isn't the billionaire scientist or the full professor. It's the incoming grad student who has the same capability. Yep. Yep. Absolutely democratizing access. Yeah, well, you know, when you get that type of speed up of productivity, I mean, that's a productivity game. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's a lot of things that are really fast, but they're not particularly productive. That's really productive. Yeah. Yeah. And you're involved with that with the vaccination, you know, the vaccination thing, you know. No, it's amazing. We're finally beginning to understand the fundamentals of life, why we age, how and where particular pathogens attack us, and how to block it. AI has had another impact, which is the ability to predict protein folding and molecule-to-molecule interaction. And then one of the companies I'll probably bring to the table in August on the Bay Area. They're based in Hong Kong. The company is called In Silico Medicine. Alex Zivarankov is a dear friend. He's a CEO. Bold is an investor in it, and they're about to go public. They're using AI to design next generations of drugs. So they're doing with 50 people what a pharma would do with 5,000 people, and they're doing it 10 times faster, where they're using what's called GANs, Generative Adversarial Networks to design and pit against each other different designs. And it's just amazing. And we haven't even really hit quantum computing 
chemistry yet, mm-hmm. which is going to change the game, you know, a thousand times faster. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Just super happy to be alive right now. Oh, yeah. You know, I'm going to keep developing my thinking about this blockchain ESOP, you know, for want of a better word. <laughs> and the thing is that it's the biggest thing. It's not that entrepreneurs aren't generous with their success and don't want their employees. It's just that legally and regulatory-wise, it's just incredibly complicated. The concept, Dan, is tokenization of a business. Mm-hmm. And we are seeing a lot of this going on, tokenizing an asset. Like if I buy a Stratus Various, I can say, okay, I'm going to create ownership of this. There's going to be a million Strat coins that will own this. And I'm going to sell those coins or make those coins available. I'm going to retain 50% and then people can bid them up and buy them. And if the value of the Stradivarius goes up or tokenizing real estate is a few different players. Of course, there's also the entire digital real estate, Decentraland, for example, that's doing this in the virtual world. But yeah, the idea of tokenizing your business and effectively creating a limited public ownership and and the tokens can have different benefits. It can be revenue benefits, it can be governance benefits, or it can just be other assigned benefits. Yeah, we just got completely revamped 195 copyrights and you could turn each copyright into a token. Sure, absolutely. And if that copyright gets sold or generates revenue, it can distribute benefits to the token holders. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think we don't fully know 1% of impact blockchain and Web3 is going to have on us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One last story that relates to this. In 1996, I was a guest speaker evening conference, and the person sitting next to me at dinner was a man by the name of D. Bach. And D. Bach was the guy who had to sell the entire banking system on Visa. Visa. And he was telling me that it was nine years from when he started to the point where you had a critical mass of bankers to do it. You know, he said it was just so hard to communicate to them why they would be interested in participating in a network with all sorts of other entities that they didn't know and they didn't really trust. And that they didn't own. (laughs) Yeah, but think about where we are today with not just Visa, but a million other credit cards where we totally trust. Yeah, we saw this as well with commerce on the web, you know, everybody's saying, I'm not putting a credit card in this website. I have no idea who they are, what's going to do to me. But now we think nothing of it, right? And it's the maturity of the systems and the check and balances. Well, and and the other thing is we want to trust because it's so economical to trust. Convenience, yes. Yeah. Time economy, if nothing else. Well, buddy, as always, a fun conversation. Yep. I don't think blockchain is going anyplace. And I think any efforts to reduce its impact are simply going to be bulldozed. Humiliated. Yes, run. Yes. A lot of countries in the world. All right. Have a wonderful day, my friend. Be well. Thank you. Bye. Bye.